I should probably turn it on. <laughs> Thank you. DECA is coming up this, this weekend, so Friday and Saturday. So we need volunteers. Rayanne in the back. She can help you with that. It's on our app or our website. You can get on there and be able to volunteer. But we need volunteers to be able to help. And if you want to participate, Rayanne, can they still sign up to participate? You can still sign up to participate uh, in it uh, and be a part of it. So we need volunteers for that. And here's the other thing. Thank you for your patience as we grow, as we try to continue to figure out space, as we try to figure out how to fit everybody in here uh, to be able to do it. But we do have something that's going to be new, and I'll remind you of this. So all of you guys that want to sneak out to beat the crowd because it's too hard to get out, we're going to open up another exit uh, in the back uh, so you don't have to sneak out, so you can actually stay to the end of the service. Um, so it'll be back through that way, they'll pull it open, they'll turn on the lights. So it'll just be, we're gonna try one e exit first, so the exit going out to the cafe and the exit through Champs. Um, so that way we can help with getting movement with everybody. And we're gonna, gonna continue to try things, uh, to try to figure out how to uh, help with growth and help as, as you guys continue to, to bring your friends. We love that uh, part of it. So we're in our series called Live Different. So we got a lot to cover today. In fact, I said, I don't even know if I'm gonna get all the way through it. We might have to turn it into two weeks, but I'll be brief uh, on the idea, why are we doing living different? And the idea is just simply this. If you are a Christian, your life should be different, right? Different than the world, right? And so there should be a distinction in the way that we as Christians live our life compared to the way the rest of the world lives. And he, and he says this very simply. If you live differently, the world will notice without you saying a word. Through your acts and good deeds, people will come to know Jesus Christ, right? So our concept or idea is, is that we've got to figure out, because this is what I think has happened, is we have said, here's how the world lives. This is the Christian you know, way that God has called us. And what we've decided is not to live all the way in the world and not to live all the way as a Christian, but we've chose to live somewhere in the middle, right? We've kind of intermingled what the world says and does, and we've kind of evolved what Christianity means, and we've tried to put those two things together. And so the Live Different series is to say, you can't do that. Like, that's just not the way it works. If somebody told you that that's okay, you know, whether it's preached that way or taught that way, that's not the right way. Like, it's, it's this to be a Christian, and it's this to be in the world, and you can't be in the in-between, because the in-between is described very clearly in Revelations. Lukewarm people, right? Not hot, which is fully in, cold, which is, I'm not a Christian at all, but lukewarm people, Revelation says, will take those people and spit them out of my mouth. So it's not like it's okay to be lukewarm. You have to be in or you have to be out. So hopefully in the Live Different series, we can help you figure out how to get all in, right? And figure out what that looks like in your life. So here's what we're gonna be talking about today. So we're gonna be talking about sexuality or sexual immorality, how we deal with sexual relations inside of uh, Christianity and what does he ask us? Because if you ask me, this, it's become kind of crazy, right? Like if you look at gender and sexuality and all of the different things that are happened, we look at it and we're like, what, what in the world happened? Right? Like how did we get this far off uh, when it comes to these things and how, again, because I think this is the other part of it, like nobody really wants to talk about it. 
Like, I think it's one of those subjects that you can talk about via social media, but you don't actually want to talk to somebody face-to-face because it garners emotions that nobody ever wants to address. But very clearly, Scripture addresses sexual immorality and how we should approach it. But to set the stage, I just wanted to give you some stats. So when I was studying and preparing for this over the past couple weeks, I want to give you some stats that kind of set the stage where why do we as Christians and as a church need to deal with this? Here's some stats. Sex in high school, okay? Kids having sex in high school. Now, this isn't like all of the other forms of like the ways that you could be sexually immoral. This is physically having sex. 51%, 1991, 51% of high schools were having sex, right? So then in the study, they, they give you some hope, right? So here's the hope. But now, to date, only 34% of kids are having sex in high school. And I'm sitting like, wow, like, kids are on fire for Jesus and they've just been changing their life and, you know, they, they've decided that it's not a good idea to sleep with a bunch of different people. But then the study goes on and says, but they attribute that to, in the study, that kids no longer need physical sex because they start viewing pornography on a regular basis at the age of 12. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, so, so 51%, let's celebrate, they're down to 34%, but the reason that they're down is you no longer need a physical person in front of you. You can meet your needs in your room, right? Now, here's the other thing. So you would think, okay, so the pornography you know, is an issue. We know that it's an issue, but, but we also know this for people that are, you know, have dabbled in pornography. At some point, you know, the screen isn't enough. Right, we just know that. I mean, at some point, the screen and in your room, like, so then the next thing inside of the study says, so when kids go away to college, you guys got college kids, or kids going to college, here's the deal. Kids away at college, 60, this is men and women, 60 to 80% of all college students surveyed are a part of the hookup culture. If you don't know what the hookup culture is, it's like sex without relationship, right? So, Find somebody, decide that we can just get together. We don't really need, you know, to to be able to have a relationship. We're both just trying to satisfy a need, right? 60 to 80%. I'd say that's pretty alarming, right? That 60 to 80% are are into that. And then it goes on. The other part of that is is that then all of that generates into this idea. 34% of all marriages that end in divorce end because of infidelity, Right? Infidelity, And you're sitting here thinking about how does all of those things happen, but do you see how it got there, right? Do you see how, you know, inside of that not understanding sexuality and the way that it works is going to lead to consequences someday? Then this, uh, another study that I was looking at, which again, this stuff even floors me more, 470,000 people a year, 12 and older, have been sexually assaulted. 470,000 a year. One in four girls, one in six boys have been sexually assaulted, right? Well, think about that number. Like, does it start to put this in? Like, what is going on? Like, how, how, how are we getting this out? Well, it, it gets worse. So back to 70 to 80% of men view porn, 30 to 40% of women view porn. You know what the top four websites in the United States of America are? Google, YouTube, Facebook, and Pornhub, top four. 
in the United States of America. I mean, those are pretty big names that everybody hears about, but Pornhub is the next visited website. Sex trafficking, if you haven't seen Sound of Freedom, you need to see Sound of Freedom because this is a real deal. Right now, talk about the southern border. A lot of people have talked about the southern border. Stop letting all those suckers in. They're taking all of our jobs. Start letting, stop letting all those suckers in because they're bringing in fentanyl and it's causing all kinds of problems. You know what a bigger problem than both of those things are? 435 children a day, unaccompanied by an adult, are crossing over to the United States of America. 60% of them are being trafficked into child pornography. And you want to know why? You want to know who the number one consumer of child pornography in the world is? The United States of America. The United States, because you have to think about this. There's no reason to import something that we're not going to use. So if you want to make money, you know where to import it, right? Import it to the place that's going to consume it all. The United States of America, the number one people in, in the world for child pornography. So they're just shipping kids in 435 a day and 60% of them are in child pornography. We're thinking, how does that happen? How does that happen? Because we're consuming it. It doesn't happen if it's not consumed, right? Like those things don't happen unless they're consumed. Here's the other thing. Uh, parents think about this for a second and kids think about this. Social media, right now. So human trafficking, you know, some are, are brought in, right? And they're just given to people to be trafficked. You know how the other way, seven, uh, seven out of 10 kids are trafficked, not through kidnapping. You know how they're trafficked? Through social media. They are groomed and brought into a relationship with somebody who then ends up trafficking them to somebody else. Because we always live with like this idea, like everybody's kidnapping our kids. No, your kids are sitting in their room. Un nobody's watching. Nobody's listening. Nobody's a part of. And they are on social media. And in that social media, they are going to places that they shouldn't. And there are people out there specifically on social media, parents, to groom your children. That's what they're there for. Right? They're there to groom your children, to get them into a place, to be able to bring them into a relationship where they can be trafficked. Right? That, that's a pretty big deal. The other thing about social media, one of the highest contributors to pedophilia or videos that for child pornography, you know what it is? TikTok. Pretty popular. Like some of the adults are like, tick what? Right? But all of the kids, are, how, I'm, how much are we on TikTok? Be honest, a lot, right? TikTok is huge and they're on it all the time. And it is one of the contributors to child pornography, right? It's one of the ways that child pornography gets out. So the reason that I wanted to paint that picture is we got a problem. Something's broke. Like you don't get those numbers unless something's seriously broke, right? And it's not even just that it's, you know, seriously broke in a world who doesn't know Christ. You have to understand that problem that's in the world has also invaded the church. The church is not insulated from sexual immorality. It's just not. I mean, church leadership, church staff, 
people inside of the church are not insulated from sexual immorality. And so we have to build a case. How are we going to fix it? Because those things seem outrageous to me. I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but that out there is just outrageous. So how do you fix it? How do you build a foundation? What is it that when God says live differently that we need to be able to do? So here's what we're going to do. So we're going to build a foundation from the beginning. So if you got a Bible, turn to Genesis 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 28. And then if you want to go on, you can go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. Those are going to be the two uh, main verses that we're going to be looking at. So Genesis and 1 Thessalonians. So I want to build a case for how is it broke? What, what's it supposed to be? And how did it get broke? Right? So we're going to look at the doctrine of Imago Dei. Okay, so this is the doctrine that you see in the first part of Genesis when we were created, what Imago Dei is supposed to look like, how in Genesis 3 it got broke, and how that's affecting sexuality today. So let's just read Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. So then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our own likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, then he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every uh, living creature that moves on the ground. So here's what he did in the beginning of creation. He created things, mountains, seas, forests, sunrise, sunsets, to display, right, the glory of God, right? That's what he did. So he created all those things to display the glory of God. He created man to show the character and the understanding of God. Does that make sense? So you look at it, all of the stuff out there in the world supposed to show the glory of God, but when he created you, he created you so that if somebody wanted to know what is God like, what does he do, what are his actions like, how does he behave, he looks at Jacob. He says, I, this, if I'm looking, he can show me something that creation can. Does that make sense? And it's not only in his actions of the way Jacob handles himself, right? It's not just how do you act, what do you do? It's how you treat other people, right? That's the idea. Not only are you created in the image of God, but so am I. So how you treat other people is a reflection to the world of who God is, right? So then Genesis 3 comes. So Genesis 3 comes, sin enters the world, and everything because of sin is broken, right? And so what's broken is this foundational theology that would say the Imago Dei, right? The Imago Dei is, is that I'm created in the image of God, so I'm going to live my life as if I am an image bearer, right? And I'm going to treat John as he is an image bearer too, regardless if he is. Does that make sense? So regardless if John is a Christian, Imago Dei would say, I will treat him as if he is created in the image of God. So that changes things, right? Like that changes this idea because if you just look at sexual sin in general, you understand that sexual sin is not just a sin that you commit. Right? Like, think about this for a second. Like, when we engage in sexual sin, it is taking or hurting somebody else, right? So the reason that people can just hook up and have one-night stands is because the Imago Dei is broken. Does that make sense? 
Like the understanding that you're both, because I've heard people argue this. Well, you know, both of us agree with it. Like both of us have chose to just have sex without being in a relationship. And it hurts both of you because you are not treating each other. Nobody would look at somebody and say, oh, you're created in the image of God, so I'm gonna have sex with you and just leave you to the curb. True? But this happens all the time, right? Like this happens all the time and accepted inside of our culture because the Imago Dei from the beginning has been broken. So everything sexually has become a transactional thing. I mean, even look at it inside of marriage sometimes, sex just becomes transactional, right? The idea that, you know, it's just me to need, just to be able to get what I need. And then when we're done, it's over with and we just go our separate ways. You know, guys are like physical and sometimes women are like, just get it over with you know, type of a thing. This is really true, right? Like, this is the way that it works, right? Because it's not, see, from the beginning, sex was made to be a very spiritual connecting thing. It was never made to be transactional. It was never made to be what, because with the Imago Dei, you would never treat people nor your wife as a piece of meat or your husband. You just wouldn't. It's bigger than that, right? The the, the idea is bigger than those things. And so from the beginning, it gets broke. That part of it's broke. So how do you fix it? What do we do, right? Because I think part of our problem is that, like, we look at it and and we're saying, like, we got to make sure that you know, all of those stats, man, I don't want my kids having sex and I don't want them to have be in porn and I don't want them to go off to college and sleep with everybody and I really don't want, right? So we start doing all that. So then you know what we do as parents? Like, hey, Jackson, you know, let me, let me tell you a few things. So here's the deal. One of the things you might want to think about is better, better make sure you never end up in the backseat with a woman because... <laughs> If you do, bad things happen, right? And don't go to your room and make sure you put stuff on your phone and make sure that, you know, we're going to go through all these lists to keep you from being sexually immoral, right? Well, here's the thing. Those are all good things. But without Jesus, he will always be broken. You can give him all of the tools don't be alone. Don't go up into your room. Don't go in the back seat of a car. Don't, don't put yourself in a position of failure. But until you have Jesus, you are born into a position of failure. Does that make sense? Just want to make sure you're all with me. This is a big deal, right? Because it changes your focus when it comes to sexual immorality on what you should talk to your kids about. You know what you should be talking to your kids about? Jesus. Right? Like, we, we should be sitting down saying, you got to love Jesus. I got to help you learn how to love Jesus and don't end up in the backseat of a car with a woman. But you got to love Jesus because if this doesn't get fixed at some point, you know how we know how we prove this? At some point when they're out from the watching eye of other people, they will do whatever is in them. True? right? So we've got to change the conversation. What do we need to do? We need to go back. You can never get back to the original Imago Dei because it's broken because of sin until we get to the place where we stand in front of Jesus. But you can fix the core of the problem with sexual immorality. The core of the problem with sexual immorality is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the core of it. 
And when we look at it, whether it is a person, so for anybody out there struggling with sexual immorality and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you've been trying as hard as you can to get over it, you know what you need to do first? Get a relationship with Jesus because you can try as hard as you want and it's not gonna work. I say it's not gonna work. I'm guessing that it's not gonna work, right? What you need first is to establish a relationship. But you know what the problem is? And all of us know this. Even when you get saved, we still have problems with sexual immorality. Anybody? But you get saved, you get, because that's not just, it's not like Satan's like, oh man, you got saved, I'm never gonna tempt you again. It's not like, oh, you got saved, and so sexual immorality or the temptation of sexual immorality is never gonna be there. It also comes into, as Christian people, we have the temptation to be sexually immoral even though we have Jesus. Amen? I know none of you want to say amen because you think then we think you're bad, but it, you are, right? Like that's the, we are, right? Like we struggle with these things. And here's what I want to tell you, Christians. Like listen to me, you can never get anywhere and you can never move forward till you admit where you are. And I know that we've lived in a world that, that, it's, that it's bad to admit that you have a problem, especially sexually, but it's better to admit that you have a problem and then let God work on that problem, right? So when I say these things, I want us to be under this understanding. It's not to point fingers or it's not to bring shame. It's just to bring a reality. If you want God to work, we better admit where we are, right? We better be able to figure out. So 1 Thessalonians, Paul deals with this. So if you have a Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8 or you can watch it up on the screen, either one. But in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's dealing with the same thing. Here's the, here's the deal. So in Thessalonica, where the Thessalonian church was, you think it's bad today sexually? It was really bad then. I mean, if you study historically what was going on, like it was completely normal for a person to be married and have two or three mistresses. And the wife just had to accept it. Like, it wasn't that big a deal. It was perfectly normal to have temple prostitution. So you could be married, and if you wanted to go to the, te if you wanted to have sex, you just go to the temple, right? And there's a whole line of them, and you're just like, uh, that one, right? And then you get that one, and you get to do whatever you want. And it was completely accepted at all ages, right? Like, those things were completely accepted. So here's the struggle that Paul has. So Paul comes in, plants a church, and says, give your life to Jesus. So all these people give their life to Jesus, but here's the problem, right? Here's the big problem. You know what it is? They were like, okay, I understand that you said give my life to Christ, but I would still like to hold on from a few things of my past. Guess what they wanted to hold on to? <laughs> so those guys that had a wife with a mistress, they're like, do I really have to give her up? I mean, it's kind of fun. What's the harm? Like, what's the harm of having two wives? And I'm like, are you crazy? One's enough, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying though, right? Like for them, they, they wanted the sexual freedom to be able to go out. Yes, wives, this is what they thought. Wives are for creating babies. Temple prostitutes are for having fun. What's the big harm in it, right? Now we look at that and we're saying, Oh, I mean, obviously that's not, you can't do those things. But is it really any different today? I mean, what's the harm in viewing pornography? You're not really having sex. 
No. Right? Like, this is a reality, right? Like, what's the harm? What's the harm? And not just looking, but what's the harm of lusting? I mean, it's not like I'm doing anything. Anybody? Right? Like, we have somehow said, well, like, this is the standard that God has. This is the way the world does. Now, I'm not going to be completely crazy, but is there a middle ground? Like there's a middle ground of can I be a Christian and can these things still work? So Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and says, here's the standard, right? And this is the standard that he's going to to address. So he addresses three things. The first one is this, sexual, uh, that sexual sin was common and all those things that go with it. But he writes to answer these three questions. What kind of sexual conduct does God require? That's question number one. How can a believer be sexually moral? That's question number two. And why? Like, what's the motivation behind a a believer being sexually moral? And so the first question, what kind of sexual conduct does God require? So what is the standard? Uh, How can, so if, if there is this standard, how do we get there? And then why should we get there? What's the motivation? So let's just read through it and we'll go and answer each one of those questions. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. Is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should uh, learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong, uh, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, Anyone who rejects the instruction does not reject a human being, but God, uh, the very God who gives us his Holy Spirit. So this is the first question. What kind of sexual conduct does God require for each one of his Christians? So this is the line. What does he say? Go back to verse one. It is God's will, right? Or back to the initial verse in three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should do what? Avoid sexual immorality. What does it mean to be sanctified? Okay, maybe not something you've heard in the church before. So here's what we know. And we say this all the time, which is true. We're all sinners falling short of the glory of God. Okay, but here is what Paul's trying to teach the Thessalonican church or the people in Thessalonia. That's true. We're all sinners and we all make mistakes. But those mistakes can't be an excuse for continually sinning. Does that make sense, the difference? Let me maybe put it in an example. So it's one thing to make a mistake and repent and say, crap, I made a mistake and I want to turn away from it. Because we even do that sometimes a lot, don't we? Like I made a mistake, I turned from it, and then a couple weeks later you make the mistake and I have to do it again. A couple of us have that problem, right? Like we're trying, but you know, it doesn't all work. That's different than saying, this is what I'm struggling with and I'm gonna do nothing about it. See, sanctification is recognizing that God has said, you need to move closer to me every single day by admitting your sin and becoming more holy, right? Like that's sanctification. Like you need to be working on it. You need to be doing it. You can't just say, well, somewhere in the middle, like this is something I never fix and I'm not going to ever do anything about it because it's a huge struggle and I can't fix it. No, he's saying, you know, you need to keep moving out of that sin into the glory of God by becoming more like him. It's the Imago Dei, right? 
The idea of the Imago Dei is each one of us is supposed to become more like him, image bearers. So you can't use the excuse where people are like, well, I'm not gonna fix my sin. You know why I'm gonna fix my, not gonna fix my sin? Because everybody's a sinner. Yeah, and you, 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 that's true, but you can't leave it there. You gotta move to something else. Are we clear on that? Now, what is sexual immorality? I think this is a big question, right? Sexual immorality is this defined by scripture. Anything that is outside of a man and a woman who are married engaging in sexual relationships. Anything outside of that in thought and deed is sexual immorality. So that means fantasizing in your mind. That means viewing. That means anybody would be like, well, we just didn't have physical sex. You know, we just... We did all the other things. You know, it's not really sex. We just did none of your spine. Like, what are the other things? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? The idea that somehow if you just don't have the physical act of sex, you're good. No, that's sexual immorality. That's not an excuse. That's not a way around. Like, if married sexuality, all of those things and physical sex are made for the marriage bed. Anything outside of that is considered sexual immorality. What's God's standard? That. You need to not, or you need to abstain from, or you need to walk away from anything that is, that is outside of that. So that's his standard from the beginning. So again, make sure that we understand that that's a standard. It's not a suggestion. So how can a believer be sexually moral? Go back to verse four that each one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans, uh, the pagans who do not know God. And in this manner, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all of those who commit such sins uh, as, we, uh, hold, as we've told and warned you before. So the first thing that it tells you to do, the how, the first thing is you need to learn to control your body. Right? That's what it says. Each one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Now, I want to just give you this picture because I think this is really important because we're all like, control your own body. What does that look like? There are things that if you don't train your mind and your body to do, you will naturally do other things. Now, a lot of times it's like, how do I know what those things are? I'll just give you an example. So uh, we've been on this thing where uh, some of us here at the church have been fasting. So if you never thought that your mind and body could be out of control, try not eating. Anybody ever done this? Like the first time that you fast and you fast for, you know, two, three, four, five days, there's like, <laughs> it's like the first day, like I need to eat, right? And you really, no one's ever had this before? Like, you don't even think about food normally in a day because you could be completely busy. And you never think about food until you fast, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm thinking about his food, right? So what you're learning is, is that there's a discipline. There's a part of your body and your mind that's not disciplined because actually you can go five days without eating any food. You can go six days without, like you can do these things, but you have to discipline your mind, right? Because your mind drives all the actions of your life. Fair to say? Right? Like everything that's up here drives the things you do. So you have to learn to be able to renew and control your mind if you ever want to control your body. So I always say to people like, listen, don't wait till the temptation comes to try to figure out how to get control. 
right? You need to learn in a renewing of your mind how to not put yourself in the positions that are gonna allow you to do it. Like, know your weaknesses. What are your weaknesses? Or know your kids' weaknesses. Like, I've always said this. I, I mean, again, I'm not telling any parent what to do, but unlimited access to a phone in a room by themselves for hours upon hours. I, does that seem like that's a good idea? And we're all like, well, I'm sure they're, I'm sure, I'm sure they're not looking at anything inappropriate. Yeah, I'm sure too. I'm sure they're not getting into anything that's bad. Like, that could be true. Like, I don't know that. Or even for a kid, I would say, if you want to discipline yourself, try this, kids. Are you ready for your challenge for the week? Get an alarm clock and leave your phone outside of your room, and it can never be in your room. And see how disciplined you are. Do you have any kids in here? Would that be hard to do? Not? Maybe. Would it be hard to do? Not hard to do? Anybody in here, right? Like, you just got to leave it. So you, you go into your room. The phone can never go into the room. When you go to bed at night, you actually have to have that thing on the, your little nightstand that goes off, and it's not your phone. Like, and it's alarm clock. Right? And it'll wake you up at a certain time every day and it actually reads the time on it. Like you could try that. How, how hard would it be from a discipline standpoint to try it and see where you're at? Because I just would tell you the only way you can become disciplined is understanding what you're not disciplined in. Does that make sense? Because I think a lot of us don't even know what we're not disciplined in until you try it. So try giving away something, try doing something because the idea is you don't want to put yourself in a position to get into sexual immorality. So if, if, if we know that it comes through the phone, and this isn't just for kids, this could be for adults. If we know that it's coming from the phone, what do you need to do? Or if we know that when you're around certain people or when you watch certain shows or certain things happen, know your weakness, discipline your mind, right? Because the thing that you're going to find is the only way to be able to get this done is you can't just have good willpower and a good mind. You're going to have to, to, to renew your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like you can't get this done unless the Holy Spirit's living in you and helps renew some of that stuff that goes on up there. Because there's a lot that goes on up there that ain't no good, right? So we need the Holy Spirit to help us. So control your body. Here's the next one. A believer should never act like an unbeliever, right? Like that seems like that's a common one, but we, when you look at the world and we see all the lusts of the world and the passions of the world and the way the rest of the world does sexuality, this should be easy, right? We should not have the passions and the lusts that the world has. We should learn to control those passions and we should learn to be able to control those lusts because those are things that, that a believer has learned to control. So make sure that we don't act like unbeliever. Here's the next one. I think it's difficult and I think this is going to be hard to hear, but listen to what he says. Here's the other one. A believer should not take advantage of others. Verse six, and in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. So I want you to think about it like this. Do you know when I said in the beginning, um, any type of sexual immorality tends to have an effect on somebody else, right? So it's the idea that, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to be a part of a hookup culture, right? And, and in that hookup culture, you know that if, you, if you're doing it outside of what sexual morality says in God's standard, it is going to have an effect on the woman, and it is going to have an effect on the man, right? So we know that. Or we know that the consumption of pornography has an effect on somebody else, right? Like we know that our consumption of pornography 
in some realms is supporting sexual immorality in the lives of other people. Is that fair to say, right? Like what we do, and this is the way that I want you to think about it because this is the struggle. To satisfy our own sexual desires, we tend to do it at any cost. Is that, are we still here? That's just making sense, right? That, at all, that we, because of our desires, because we can't control them, because the Imago days broke, because there's something broke inside of you, and you know this, right? Sexual desires are powerful, right? Like these things are powerful. So you get to this place, like how do I overcome it? And a lot of times when we go to do it, we don't think of the cost to somebody else, right? We don't think of how it's going to affect somebody else. Now, with that in mind, here's what I want you to, to read, to listen to. Matthew uh, 18, six through nine. Jesus is addressing this idea. And again, I think sometimes we put it in the wrong context, but he's addressing this idea that when we do things and it affects other people, there's a problem with that, right? Matthew 18 is talking about this idea, and I wanna contextualize it with this idea, that when we act in sexual immorality and it affects somebody else, and if we honestly even go back to the things that we are looking at, you know, the idea that, that kids are being sex trafficked in, that the, the pornography, you know, is a, the, the largest growing thing, that it has a huge effect on not only adults, but it has effect on kids, okay? With that in mind, listen to this. Matthew 18, six through nine says this. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe uh, to you and the world because of the things that have caused people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for your entire life to, to be maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Does that put a new view on the hookup culture? Like, who's it really hurting? Anybody? Right, this idea that we're just gonna go out and we're just gonna have fun and it's not gonna matter or I'm gonna do these things in the privacy of my room and it doesn't really matter. In the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, we all, we all together? In the eyes of God, it does matter because your sexual immorality is hurting another person, a brokenness in the Imago day. You're only caring about yourself and you're not caring about other people. I mean, I think that's pretty serious words, right? Like he's just flat out saying, if you can't get this right, you should probably make some extreme adjustments like cutting off appendages. This is pretty extreme. Gouging your eyes out, like that's pretty extreme, right? Like that's the things that he's saying inside of that. So we should do something about it. Now here's the last question. Why should a person be sexually moral? Go back to scripture in verse six. The Lord will punish all of those who commit, uh, uh, commit such sins as we uh, told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instructions does not reject uh, a human being, but God. Uh, the very God who gives the Holy Spirit. 
He, the Lord, will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects the instructions does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, you're gonna hear this and just take this in the right context. You know why? You know, we, you know the, the, why should we be sexually immoral? It's because God is a God that does carry out vengeance. Now, is he a God that's up there waiting to strike you down? Is he a God that's just waiting to smack you on the head? No. But he is a God who says this. There are, as a believer, consequences for sins. Because a lot of people, you know, when you, when you act in these things, I was talking to people about this this week, and they're like, a lot of reason that we keep struggling with it is because we just know that we can ask for forgiveness. And you're right. You can ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. But that does not mean that there's not consequences for the sins in our life. That's just not the way that it works, right? It's not like God is not a God that's just going to be like, oh, you know, just keep asking for goodness every day and we're good, right? No, he's a God that's going to say, I want more than anything. This is the type of God we serve. You know what he wants more than anything? It's for you to be like him. And if it means carrying out consequences for sin in your life to help you get there, guess what, he's gonna, guess what a loving God's gonna do? Punish you, right? And I know nobody wants to talk about that in church. And like, why did we come to this church? This is one of those churches, Right? I'm just telling you, there is a reality of a grace-filled, loving God that loves you enough to punish you. That's just the way that it works, right? It's not because he hates you, it's because he loves you, that he's trying to do something to get you back on track. And I don't know what that punishment is. Like that punishment might be a broken marriage. That punishment might be, you know, what they tell you about in health classes. There are diseases, right? There might be, like there's a lot of things that that punishment can be, Right? But the reality is you can't keep going down that road without this idea that there are some consequences. Here's the other one. It's because God's purpose for you. The reason or why. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a, a holy life. So the worship team can make their way back up. But here's what he says. This idea, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. This is back to the idea. You know why you should do it? You know why you should live in sexual purity? Because the world's watching your good deeds, and because of your good deeds, people are going to come to Christ or not. That's what he's saying. You know why he wants you to be pure? You know why he wants you to live different when it comes to sexuality? You know why he wants you to, to live differently when it comes to all these areas? Why he wants you to train your kids up differently in all these areas? You know why? Because when we don't act like the crazed world sexually and we act in this way, it says those good deeds, living in those ways, are gonna help people know who a living, loving God is that they can get to know, right? Because we are acting then, because this is, this is the thing that each one of us should see. Like in all of this, you know why one of our big motivating factors, you know what our, our biggest motivating factor when it comes to, to sexual immorality should always come back to this. If I truly viewed you as an image bearer of God, would I really treat you that way? I mean, think about that. 
Would you really make the decisions that you're making in your life if you really viewed people the way that God views them? Would you really make those decisions to use people for your gain if you didn't look at them as somebody that was created by God? Right? That's, that's the foundation. And so you know what's different in the world? We said this before. When you start treating people like they were people created by God and not using them for your benefit, guess what the world does? Like, holy cow, there must be a God, right? There must be, you know, a God out there. Now, he ends it with something that I think, you know, is it, hard for us to hear, but I think we need to see this. The last one is he talks about, you know, the why behind is because of the Holy Spirit or this idea that the Holy Spirit's living inside of us. He says this, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. Sometimes you sit in a message like this and you're like, Mike's up there just droning on and on and on about all of these problems. And I don't know that I agree with his teaching. Right? Like that somebody's up there and they got an opinion and they're going down that road. And so what's Paul saying, what he's trying to get you to, to see past, this isn't Mike's teaching. This is what the Bible says. Right, And when he says, if you choose to walk away today and reject this teaching, you're not rejecting my opinion, you're rejecting God's word. Like that's sobering, right? Because you can walk away and disagree with my opinions on things, but you can't walk away and say, well, I'm gonna reject the idea that God says for all Christian people that we need to be sexually moral and that we need to make whatever changes possible to get back into that place because it's better to gouge your eyes out or cut your appendages off if you go down these roads that you keep going down. Like we better fix some of these problems. We better do something about it because the Bible says this, this is what it needs to be. Right? And so for all of us, this is my prayer. Right? So my prayer is a couple things. If you're not saved and you've been struggling with sexual immorality and you've been trying your best to fix it, take today and fix the main problem, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Take an opportunity, don't wait, get saved today. Fix the first problem. It's a lot of work to fix the rest, but fix this one first, right? Fix the one that, that, that's gonna help us work through the brokenness of our life. And so you can have that opportunity. We're singing the last song. If you wanna stand up and you wanna come to the back, come to the front, we'll pray with you. If you wanna go to the back, if we got staff and leaders all over and go to the back, somebody can pray with you, whatever. Take an opportunity. If you're someone who, again, is, is struggling with sexual immorality and you're a believer, right? Today's an opportunity to say, listen, I'm gonna make a stand. And I don't know what that is. For each one of us, it's different, right? Struggling, so I'm gonna leave my phone out. I'm gonna discipline my body, so I'm gonna do. I mean, I don't know what those things are, but whatever that decision is today, make a decision to do these things and then trust God to, you know, those desires you think will never go away. Trust a God who created the universe that can make those desires go away. Trust a God in the universe who can repair things that you thought could never be repaired, right? Trust him in 
those things. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we know that this is a difficult subject and it's hard to talk about, Lord, but we pray that um, give us wisdom. Open our eyes. Like, where are we falling short when it comes to sexual immorality? What are the things that need to change in our own lives? How do we need to discipline our body and our mind? How do we need to understand how our decisions are affecting the lives of other people? Lord, I just pray that you give us the courage because we know it's the enemy wants us to fall into immorality, Lord, because it just affects so much and so many other people. Lord, let us live different in the way that we are in relationships with people. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.